Brainwaves, hear the world differently. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm for Brainwaves, Melbourne's drive-time radio show, giving voice to people with mental illness. One in five have a mental illness, but five in five can enjoy this great program, featuring heartwarming stories, great information, and some laughs as well. Find us at 3CR, 8.55 on your AM dial. Sponsored by Mental Illness Fellowship of Victoria. Hello listeners and welcome back to another episode of Brainwaves on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am on your dial. My name is Tube and today on the show, Kathy and Kiara will be interviewing Dr Neil Thomas from Swinburne University. Um, he also runs the Voices Clinic at the Alfred Hospital. Over to you guys. Thanks so much, Neil, for, for coming on the show today. Hi, great to be here again. Wonderful. All right. So um, for those who um, haven't listened to one of our uh, shows before, can you tell us, can you please tell our uh, new listeners um, what the SMART uh, program is and what the research program is um, kind of uh, aimed to achieve? Yeah, sure, sure. And um, I mean, I suppose we talk a bit about SMART today and, mm-hmm. and also think a bit about the uh, work on hearing voices that we've been doing. So the, in terms of SMART, this is a research program which we're running at Swinburne University that's in partnership with a number of mental health services across Victoria. I think we're, we're, we're partnering pretty much with, with the whole of the metro area now in terms of mental health services. What we're trying to do with this program is to understand broadly the topic of how how can we use digital technology such as mobile phones, the internet and so on, therapeutically within mental health services. So that's been the kind of umbrella, but as part of that we've had a number of projects and a number of particular things that we've been looking at. So, for instance, one of the things we're looking at is how can workers, like mental health workers, use an iPad in sessions in a therapeutic way. Another thing we're interested in is um, we've developed a website with resources to promote personal recovery and, and we're, we're seeing how well that works. And we've got a particular interest in video material and um, forums where people can learn from other people who've had shared lived experience of recovery from mental mm-hmm. health. So often in the past we've had um, a lot of educational material on how people can overcome mental health difficulties but with the advances in technology it's a lot easier actually to be able to learn from people who've had those experiences themselves so we've been doing a lot with kind of videos of people talking about particular aspects of recovery and so on um so neil so this is the third time that you've been on our show welcome back um can you tell us the research um that is um the updates that has um, come about from your project so yeah, so uh, we've we've entered into the um, the second sort of the, well the, the the third year of the project. So in, now what we've been doing has been actually looking more at workers within some of our partner services using iPads with people and using the website that we've developed. So we, it, it it's been quite interesting. So what we we've been doing is is getting people to take part that so we, we get workers to say they, they volunteer for that and then they see who of their caseload would be interested in taking part and they're just really trying out to see what happens when they use an ipad that's got a load of resources on recovery it's got some people talking about their experiences and so on so so it's been good so far we've, we've just been hearing it works it, you know it seems feasible it seems acceptable and the I think we're getting a consistent message that 
it really helps to open up conversations to have some materials there. So what people might do is watch a, a video of someone talking about the impact, say, of um, the, how stigma has affected them in, in terms of mental health, how they feel embarrassed about talking about having mental health problems and so on and so forth, how they feel when they see, see messages about that. And that kind of gives permission and, and gives sort of stimulus for having a whole conversation about that that otherwise might not happen. So it it's feels that we've got something quite positive in, in helping us move in a creative direction for, I suppose, this overall theme of personal recovery, which has become very important in mental health services. So what that's about is it's not merely about trying to control symptoms or, or to reduce symptoms, but it's about thinking about the broader person and how somebody maybe learns to live with perhaps symptoms that, that, that maybe are difficult to eliminate or control, mm. but to overcome some of those challenges in recovery. Yeah. I'm fascinated by the fact that having the iPad there and having the resources on the iPad is actually generating content for sessions with, with clients so that they're actually... Um, giving them something to kind of talk about and bring something, I suppose, more creatively to to a session with the client. And, and this is this is a big question that we've got that that potentially there could be it could be a barrier having a having an extra thing in the room that that that, that could be you know I think we've had that sense sometimes with when people have had forms to do with people or or workbooks to do sometimes it can be quite clunky. Mm. So we you know we we're, we're interested. Well, how does it work? We think that. You know, people are going to be use, using tablet computers in in a range of settings in the future. So, if we are we have got that piece of technology here, what's the impact on the relationship, and uh, can it be used in, in 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 a useful way? And it does seem that it can be used usefully. Okay, and does it? I suppose has the research kind of indicated whether um, there's a difference for people that go do the sessions with somebody else, or whether they just kind of go through. Um, you know, activities on the iPad by themselves? Does it make we, a difference? I mean, we've got a number of projects as part of this, so we will be able to answer that question. So we've got one, the main project which we got going was we some of our workers that, that work with us on the project team would be um, uh, signing people up to do eight sessions to give it a go. Um, so they get that in addition to what they'd usually receive so people can take part in that if they're interested the that we've also got this um and as as i was talking about this um trial of, of, of in routine practice with both of those people can use it in the session or people can use it both in the session and at home as mm-hmm. well so that people get a log on and they can access the materials as much as they'd like what we're seeing is that people do tend to use both, so it's not just solely in session, but there will be a significant proportion of people who perhaps wouldn't be confident enough or, or motivated enough to do that. Um, alongside that, we've got another project which we're getting going in, in non-metropolitan Victoria and uh, into some of the other states where we haven't got that project going on, and that will be looking at people using the website just self-guided, so not with a worker just on their own so we'll be able to make a few comparisons about how people get on with it when we've got data from those different groups Mm. it's a lot more empowering as well because you know people don't always have their psychologist or their caseworker you know around they don't have them there all the time so the fact that you can kind of get involved in something and do something yourself kind of 
um, increases one's resilience to kind of problem solve, I suppose, and utilize you know other means. Yeah, we 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 hope so, and I, I think that's been quite central to what we've hoped for from this and has been quite important in the consultations we've had with consumers in its development that it would be great to get something where the person is central to it often our interactions that people have with mental health services it's like there's lots of secret business with medical notes and things that are actually seem to be owned by the service rather than by the consumer Whereas, so what we wanted to do in, in terms of designing a website was to have it so it was actually owned by the consumer. So the consumer owns the logon. The the worker can't access what the person's put in. Mm. Um, it, it's down to the consumer to show the person show their worker that. So it shifts a bit of the power balance there. Mm. So that was an important element. And and the other thing is, I mean, generally the internet is an empowering thing, isn't it? Because people can access information themselves and uh, can also connect with people independently. They can really, you know, do, do a lot of um, determining their own recovery by using that as a resource. So we wanted to sort of harness that in a, in a helpful yeah, way. Yeah, that makes so much sense just to combine technology and mental health. Um, yeah, so uh, what do you think the um, role of technology is in the future of mental health treatment? Well, I mean, we... Uh, I expect that we'll see it grow and become more and more important. Something that relates to this, there was recently um, this review of mental health services in Australia, which is um, which was that was conducted by an independent commission, and the government very recently, over the past few weeks, has an, has written the response to that. Which has been quite broad brush. There's not been a lot of details at this stage, but technology was central to that. And particularly, one one of the elements of that was about we haven't got everybody getting access to to services, and there's a lot of geographic differences and so on and so forth. So, trying to implement what's been helpful in other countries called a stepped care kind of model, so that when somebody maybe sees their GP and says, "Oh, I've got some problems with anxiety or depression," that everybody can routinely be given access to online resources mm. that they can use. And uh, and then either people that have got more complex problems or that's not going to work for, or when people have given that a go and it hasn't been that helpful, then they can be streamed into services. So it's kind of a way perhaps of using finite face-to-face mental health resources in an efficient way. So that's been one element. Another element has been really trying to integrate technology into the future of face-to-face service provision. So we've seen that so people can access their own medical records and things will get more i think more more ownership over personal data will 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 become part of what people can access directly themselves so we'll see it grow sounds very empowering yeah we hope so yeah. yeah and i think it's it's supporting there being as well there being communities of people that can support each other more autonomously as well so it's kind of it works together with peer support quite well and we've seen that with um, a lot of movements, like I think the, the Hearing Voices movement as well, has been the, the use of the internet was quite has been quite important in helping people to connect as part of that. Mm. Something that I love about um, the Smart Research Project program is that um, there's quite a large focus on kind of peer experiences, like all of the videos where um, there are people talking about you know what is recovery to them, 
um, that was I watched that video and that really kind of struck me just hearing how different you know the the word recovery is so different to everybody yeah absolutely and and, and this this is something really important and, and perhaps something we've been neglecting when we've had that sort of workbook approach or whatever it can be a bit one size fits all but we know with recovery that people have very different meaning very different priorities and so on and mm-hmm. so forth so we wanted to capture that in developing resources so that we wanted to give permission for people to be able to um, say themselves about what their own priorities are. And part of that was when we filmed videos, we got a mixture of people talking about different perspectives on the same topic. So, for instance, we, we've got a video with people talking about their views on medication. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to capture some people saying, look, medication has been really, really helpful for me. And other people saying, I really hate taking medication, but I think it's got a role to play. And then other people just saying that, you know, they really, really don't like taking it. So that's something that can be helpful. So if we think about the having the important conversations, that's a really important conversation for people to be having with their workers, which might be quite difficult for, for workers to get people talking about. Mm. It provides a potential prompt for that. So it's partly about that, but also about recognising that people will identify with, with, with other people. So, um, so what we wanted to do is give permission that people could say, I really connected to what so-and-so said, but not so much the other people. Or, or say, actually, none of that resonated with me, but for me, it's actually this. Hmm. I suppose, you know, it, it's giving people permission um, to, to have their own opinions about something and draw, um, just hear about what other people are also experiencing mm. at the same time. And not feel so time. isolated. Yeah. Mm. That's, I suppose, the role that technology has to play. And it, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing in that way that it is able to connect people that have otherwise you know not been able uh, you know mental health mm. is is isolating enough yeah. um I mean, an- another big area of development is is looking at mobile apps because mm. people of course have have mobile phones in their pockets all the time so there's can be a, a, a huge amount that that we're thinking will will t- will arise in the future so one of the areas with that is around um um having a phone has, has capability, you can record things in real time and also can give you reminders and prompts. So if you're feeling stressed, you might enter in that and then it might give you prompts. Like, oh, maybe you should do that. So it can be, be a useful tool to have kind of carrying around with you rather than trying to remember what there was in a session that you had a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, the other potential with that is that we're seeing that mobile phones can kind of monitor things um, quite cleverly in in terms of l- knowing kind of how active you are and with you you can potentially with things like um, wristbands Fitbits. and the Fitbits, yeah. the <laughs> Apple Watch, all those kind yeah. of things. Yeah, the um, that we're seeing more and more complexity of sensors so that we can start getting indices not just of movement but potentially of, of things like people's stress levels. And that, that's not quite here at the moment but is likely to be coming up in, in the future. So we may have people being able to use things like mobile phones to, to help them um, in day-to-day life in a way that they haven't been able to do before. Great. Well, uh, we're just going to go to a quick song on the CSA and we'll be right back. This is One by Johnny Farnham. I'm struggling with my mental health. I'm concerned about my loved one and need support for myself. I need someone to speak to. 
but I don't want to burden my family and friends. The experience of mental illness can be emotional, challenging, and isolating, but you don't have to go through it alone. Hello, Helpline. Helpline is an information support and referral service. Our trained volunteers all have a personal experience of mental illness and are here to listen, understand and help. Our service is free, confidential and you can call us from Monday to Friday, 9am to 5pm. If you have a mental illness, know someone who does or just need someone to speak to, call Helpline on 84864222. That's 84864222. My fellowship is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back, listeners, and you're listening to Brainwaves on 3CR, 855 AM on your dial. Before the show, we were speaking with Dr Neil Thomas from Swinburne University. Hi, hi, thanks. And, and we were just talking about the Smart Research Program. So this is about using technology in mental health services. We've got a particular focus on helping people with experiences of psychosis. So if anybody's interested in taking part in helping us find out about that, our website is smartinfo.org.au. That's smartinfo.org.au. Or can call us on 03 9214 5304 that's 03 9214 5304 wonderful thanks for that neil um another area of your research is um hearing voices and i understand Mm. that you recently attended a research meeting uh slash public conference for um international consortium for hallucination research um, yeah. yeah, can you yeah, tell us I mean, about th- that? That's right. We, we we held the meeting here. Um, so it was hosted by um, Swinburne University and St Vincent's Hospital. Uh, so the International Consortium is a group of the main research centres internationally who are doing work on trying to understand experiences that we might refer to as hearing voices or hallucinations, often in the scientific literature. And uh, so this is the third meeting. The previous meetings had been in London and in Durham in the UK. And we were getting together these key researchers who came to Melbourne for this meeting and trying to understand, well, where can we go next collaboratively in terms of research, in terms of our understanding of that? What, what we wanted to do with that, because Melbourne, we held the World Hearing Voices Congress in Melbourne a couple of years before, which was driven by the Hearing Voices Network, Hearing Voices Movement. Um, and there was a particular effort that we put into in organising that about creating a space for discussion and dialogue among people with lived experience of things like hearing voices and researchers and practitioners and so on and so forth. So so it got a lot of dialogue going and we wanted to continue that a bit. So we held a, a public forum in which we encouraged dialogue between the international researchers who'd come out to Melbourne and some of our local experts who've got personal experience of hearing voices and practitioners who work regularly with people who hear voices. So it, so it was, it was a really nice, had a really nice feel about it and it was, it was quite a productive meeting that we had here. Hmm. What was I suppose you know what what came out of out of the research meeting? There, I mean, there was there was a, a range of things. I, I, I'll pick up on a couple. Um, I think one of the key things is it is that we're becoming more attuned to 
um, some of the limitations that we've had in terms of thinking very specifically about hearing voices or, or what we call auditory verbal hallucinations sometimes in the scientific literature uh, as as the main type of experience because people get a whole range of experiences people might hear things that aren't voices people might feel the presence of somebody there without necessarily hearing them as well as having odd tastes and smells and visions and other types of sensory experience so when we're trying to understand these things, it's, it's, it's not enough for us just to understand voices. We want to try and make sure that we understand that full spectrum of experience. And related to that, we have had this particular focus of, of zoning in on schizophrenia or people with a diagnosis of schizophrenia as, as a grouping. But what, what we know, we know that about 1 in 20 people have significant experiences of hearing voices. It's not mm. just that group. So we, we see our research programme... Um, that we run at the Alfred and on, on, on voices we, we have people that have had no, no contact with mental health services that, that have hearing voice experiences and we, we, we're currently doing research trying to understand voices in uh, depression, in bipolar disorder we're seeing loads and loads of people who've heard voices there and also we, we know that they happen a lot in PTSD in um, borderline personality dissociative disorder so often um, uh, when people are being experiencing trauma and dissociation that it can be quite common. So it's an experience that we see in a range of um, presentations or, you know, populations. So we want to understand it across the board, not just in schizophrenia. So that, that, that's been one kind of main thing. I suppose another thing that, that came out was about understanding about how we help people who hear voices. So we have been quite aware that the majority of research on ways of helping people has aside from drug trials and um, some brain stimulation therapies like uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation the main ways of helping people have been focused on something we call cognitive behavior therapy for psychosis and so we've done lots and lots and lots of trials of cbt um, to find out in essentially our results the results of all these research before has pretty much found that if you go and see an expert psychotherapist for a number of sessions of therapy, that that's better than not seeing somebody, which is okay. That's it's useful, and it's useful in saying this is a, this is something that we should increase people's access to. But the problem is, there's not many expert psychotherapists available to do this kind of work, and we haven't actually worked out what components are most important. So something that we're very keen on doing and is part of our research in Melbourne but also in collaboration with particularly the UK and with Holland is being can we break down some of the key elements of ways of helping people with voices so that this might be helping people to refine how well they cope with their voices or learning specific methods of responding to voices like, like mindfulness skills or learning ways of being assertive when they're hearing voices or processing traumatic memories and so on can we look at those in isolation and understand them, uh, how helpful they are? And this can be helpful for us in, in designing packages which can be used by everybody, not just by expert therapists. Mm. It sounds like um, we are making some great progress into um, broadening our understanding um, of, of hearing voices and including other people as well that you know don't have that, that diagnosis. Yeah, and understanding that there's a whole spectrum of voices, not just the standard labels that we already have. Mm. 
If um, people are interested in the Voices uh, Clinic, uh, where can they uh, get some more information for that? Yeah, so we, we run research pro- projects and some of our intervention studies and, and we also run a clinic with just best practice current therapy in, on St Kilda Road. It, the website is voicesclinic.com.au. That's voicesclinic.com.au. So people can visit that and there's other contact details there. Great. Thanks so much, Neil, for coming on the show. Pleasure. Have you experienced psychosis? Are you over 18? We're looking at new approaches to mental health and would like your help. SMART is a research project looking at how electronic resources can support conversations between mental health consumers and workers. We are offering our services either face-to-face or over the internet. It is being led by Swinburne University in partnership with a range of clinical and community mental health services. If you're interested in getting involved, please call us on 9214-5304 and leave your contact details. That's 9214-5304 or email at smartonline at swin.edu.au. Well, that's all we have time for, folks. Thanks for listening to Brainwaves on 3CR Community Radio. You can listen to podcasts of our show on brainwaves.org.au or email us at brainwaves at myfellowship.org. Stay tuned for Renegade Economist.